Hey, Reality Family, thanks for joining us once again for the teaching for this week. Our teaching is based on a passage from Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. So would you please read along with me? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed all the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is God's word. Well, we're in a series about what is the church, asking that question. Uh, as you know, in the fall season, many of us are, are considering tran- uh, transitioning back uh, to church out of our summer rhythms. And of course, we're also coming out of a pandemic very slowly. And uh, we've been maybe doing no church or online church only for a couple of years. And so we might be wondering, why come back to church? What's the point? So that's what we're looking at in this series. And uh, this passage that we, I read today is one of the most famous when in talking about the early church. And so we're going to be in it for a few weeks But I want to just focus today on verse 42. It reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So I want to look at it in three sections. The first is that I want to ask the question, or or focus on the word they, and ask that question, who are they in this passage? We might think it's the early church, and that, that is not the wrong answer, but it's not fully correct, because in the context, what it's talking about is a whole bunch of people who have just started following Jesus, a whole bunch of new followers of Jesus. Now you might wonder, where did these new followers of Jesus come from? Let me uh, back up and explain a little bit of the story of the book of Acts in order to give you some context, but also um, to kind of catch you up on where we've been in this series. So the the book of Acts starts with a community of people who have followed Jesus. They followed him since the start of his ministry. They've seen him live, die, and experienced him resurrected. And Jesus tells them to to hang out and wait because his presence will come. And, And then Jesus leaves. And so the people are just hanging out. They're waiting and watching and they're praying together. And then the, the presence of God does come in the form of the Holy Spirit on a day that's called Pentecost. And the, the Spirit comes and it fills them. And then from there, they're sent out. And one of the disciples, Peter, one of the main guys, he preaches this amazing sermon. And because of it, many people, uh, they, they, he, he invites them to, to repent, to turn away from anything else that they've been following, anyone else they've been following, and walk and turn towards Jesus and receive this good news and to be baptized. And so that's what happens is that a thousand, it says thousands of people that day were baptized and wanted to join in the community. So that's an amazing thing. Imagine if that happened today at our church. You know, we've got 100, 200 people, and, uh, and then 1,000 people came to faith. And I think all of us would say, like, wow, what an amazing act of God. And that would be something that we would long for and pray for. And maybe some of the practical ones among us would be like, oh, boy, like, this is going to mean, how many services is this going to mean? Do we have to buy new chairs? Do we have to get a new building? Asking all these types of questions. And some others of us might be asking a a very wonderful question, which is how are we going to disciple all these people? How are we going to help them to become like Jesus? Like God has done this amazing act where many people are open to following him. How are we going to help them to grow? And the answer to that question from the book of Acts, the discipleship program that they have is for those new followers to join into the life of the community of God. 
There's no special track for them. They don't give them a book. They don't invite them to, to, to do a course or a newcomer's lunch, as wonderful as all of those things might be. Um, but they invite them to, to just practice the rhythms of grace that the community of Jesus followers was already practicing before. And this is the pattern in the book of Acts, the pattern we can observe, that the church meets, the, the original followers of Jesus, they meet in this upper room and they're waiting and they're praying and they're looking at scripture together. And then they, the, the God comes, the spirit comes and it sends them out. So they go out and then people follow Jesus. So they invite them back in and then they do the same thing again and they repeat it. They do all the practices that they were doing, which we're going to look at today. In this passage in verse two in chapter two sorry and then they are sent out again more people follow jesus they invite them back in they they practice all the things that they are doing they ask some questions about god for direction they're sent out and then there's healings and people go and teach and so by the end of chapter four we've seen three or four of these cycles and at the end of chapter four we see a very similar passage describing what the early church looks like because it's the luke the author is trying to drill it in this is what they did this is the discipleship program of the early church so now i don't know about you but i long for people to to come to know jesus whether it's one or a thousand you know one of the reasons that i've been in ministry for the last uh, 16 years or so i i never thought i would and i never wanted to but one of the reasons that i have been is because i have had a, a chance to share the gospel with people and see the lights come on. And I can tell you from my experience that there are like almost no better things in life than having, being witness to that and being a part of that in someone's life. So it's something I'm passionate about. And I know many of us are passionate about to, to learn how to share the good news with people. And we've got people in our lives maybe been praying for for years and years and years. So we're gonna do that in a few weeks. We're gonna talk about how can we be part of God's mission? How can we share the good news about Jesus in our culture today in, in Vancouver in 2021? We'll do that in a few weeks. But I wanna also remind us that, as I said the first week, if the gospel is not just an invitation for us to go, that God has taken care of our sin problem and we're free to go, but it's an invitation for us to come, not only to the presence, but into the people of God, into the family of the church, then we need to be asking ourselves, what are we inviting people into? How are we going to disciple them just by the rhythms that we have in our community? Author David Fitch says it this way, a gospel way of life and the presence of God must be a communal reality before it can infect the world. Maybe not the best choice of words there, in fact, to use during a pandemic, but he wrote it before. Um, but uh, the idea is that it needs to be true in here before we take it out there. It must take shape as a whole way of life in a people. That's what the gospel is, is not just a message, but a way of life, attending to the presence of God. And then from this social space, we infect the world for change. In here, in this group of people, we give witness to the kingdom breaking in. That's what we're, we do when we gather and we practice together. And then we invite the world to join in. Now, for this to happen, however, we need a set of disciplines that shape Christians into such communities in the world. So we need to be a changed people practicing the rhythms of God's goodness and of his grace and waiting on him and loving one another in order to invite other people into that. So what are the characteristics of this new Jesus community that we see? Or what are the things that the, the, the earliest followers of Jesus were doing that these new believers are then ushered into? Well, Luke lists four characteristics of the early church. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. 
So let's look at them. The first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This means that they were a community of learning. And so they were invited to come sit under the disciples' teaching, and and they probably just had a thousand questions for them. What did it look like to meet Jesus? What did he do? What did he say? Did he say anything that, you know, we should mimic? What was his way of life that we can follow him? So they learned the story of Jesus and the story of the gospel. They also learned the story of the Bible. Whenever it says the scriptures in the New Testament, which it doesn't necessarily say here, but we see all over in the New Testament that it talks about learning the scriptures. It's actually talking about the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, that we understand Jesus in and the gospel in light of the story of God, that we learn that story and we take it on as our own. And we also learn and watch how God has made himself present in that story, that we might learn how he makes himself present today. And so the the new followers of Jesus are doing all of those things. And they're learning not just to learn, but they're learning to form a frame and a guide and a foundation from which to live in the world, in their world. And it's the same things that we're invited to as as a family of God, the same things that we should be practicing, to come together in and around the person of Jesus, to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be like him? To learn the story of the Bible and how God makes himself present so that we might be uh, that reflection and that light into the world as well. And that's what we're doing now. We're coming together to learn about Jesus in scripture. Now, in order to talk about the kind of learning that I want us to engage in at our church, I want to use some concepts from math or employ some concepts from math. So just before you fall asleep, I'm saying concepts from math. We're not actually going to do math itself. It's a bounded set and a centered set. A bounded set community and a centered set community. So a bounded set is a a community, as you can see in the picture, that it's all about who's in and who's out. So the line describes a line of people who are inside, the people who agree, the people who are part of the community, and the people who are outside. And in the Bible, we're introduced to many different bounded set ideas. This is what it means to move. You know, we move from following Jesus, we move from death to life, or from enslaved to free, or from enemies of God to becoming a child of God. And this is a line of, we call it like positional justification, that I am saved by Jesus, that I follow him, that I have faith in him, and therefore all the things that are true of him become true of me. So that's one way of thinking about learning, that we're trying to learn who's in and who's out about all the different ideas in the Christian faith. The second way of thinking, though, is a centered set. And this is less concerned with a boundary and who's in and who's out, and more concerned with direction. So the arrow represents that. It's asking the question, which way are you moving? Are you trending towards Jesus or away from him? So theologically, we could think about this as sanctification. Am I, it's the question, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Am I bearing more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Now, here's why these ideas are important. Both of them are actually important, I think, as Christians. But I think that we've overemphasized bounded set thinking to the detriment of centered set thinking. So bounded set thinking can be really helpful in all the ways that I already described. And it can also really be helpful for new followers of Jesus who just need some really clear lines of saying, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You know, you should do this. This is how you should read the Bible. This is when you should pray. Um, So clear lines and expectations are really helpful. And in areas where we're weak, when someone comes alongside of us, like maybe, you know, I'm really terrible at prayer and someone comes alongside of us and says, hey, this is how you should pray. This is I pray. I'm going to give you a framework. Let's go. That can be really helpful. But there can also be negatives associated with bounded set thinking or having only bounded set thinking. And the biggest one I would say is that we mix essential things 
like what I, what I described, which is that when we follow Jesus, we're in to his family. That, that, that's an important boundary for us to keep. But we can also add non-essential things into there, things that I think are true, things that I think are clear in the Bible, and I say that they're clue for, true for everyone. And, and people that believe that are the only people who are in. It can also discourage honest questions and doubts that we may have. And you may know this. If you've ever gone through time of deconstruction or something, you're questioning some of those boundaries. You're not maybe questioning all of them. But when they're mixed all in together about a certain way to read the Bible or about certain perspectives on how the church should function and what it means to follow Jesus and salvation in him, when those are all intertwined, it becomes very messy to try to untwine them. And so it discourages any kind of questioning. It can also make people conform, and we're trying to, it can encourage on accident, like people to all be the same and think the same, rather than what we see in the Bible, which is that people are coming from all different walks of life and learning how to get together because of Jesus. And it can also result in marginalization for people and the eventual loss from the community of people who think differently or maybe are slower to adopt uh, the boundaries of a community. And that weakens, again, the family of God. And finally, it puts walls between churches and, and communities of God. We all say we worship God, but then we put up other boundaries. But we're a Bible-believing church. You know, we actually believe in the Bible, which implies that all the other churches don't. And so we're putting up walls between ourselves. Now, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York for many years and a hero of mine, he says that churches who do this, really what you're doing when you, when you pursue only bounded set thinking is that you're busy shoring up the walls. What you're doing is you're taking that circle and you're just trying to make it super clear on every issue, who's in and who's out, and you're trying to build the, the walls higher and higher. And the idea is, well, everybody that's here, that's part of our community is obviously in, and everyone who is outside is obviously out and obviously wrong. Um, and this can also come across when church members are required to subscribe to all the agreed positions of a church, especially on non-essential issues, and where any kind of dissent or failure will lead to people being excluded. So how does this work at our church then? I think bound, bounded set is, is important sometimes, but so is centered set. Here's what I want to say. We want to emphasize a boundary here at this church. Everyone here is welcome, no matter where you are. But the boundary, the one boundary is saying yes to Jesus. That when you say yes to him, or we want to encourage people to say yes to him, to put their faith and throw in with him. And the way that, that uh, we do that in, or the way that we practice that uh, in our church from the New Testament is through baptism, is through that practice. That's a public commitment saying, yeah, I'm all, I'm all in with Jesus and I'm all in with being part of the people of Jesus. But from there, I at least will not try to erect any other boundaries. I will be super honest about what I think the Bible says about different topics. It's not like I'm just going to say, like, well, the Bible says nothing about anything. Oh, I try to be honest as I, as I preach through, have the privilege of teaching through different things. And, I, and what I invite is for you to be honest too. I think we're at best when we come with our different perspectives around Scripture and we focus in on Jesus. And one of the great places you can do that in our community is what we call community hermeneutic, where we get together and we, we study scripture together and we listen to the Spirit and we listen to each other. And I'll be really open about the different practices that we have here at Reality, and I'm going to be unapologetic about it. Um, that, you know, for example, we're going to say that the Bible is God's word and we take it really seriously here. Again, not to say that other churches don't, but that's just one of the practices that we have. And in the end, you might say, well, like, I just don't, you know, if I don't get it, um, I don't think the Bible, I think the Bible sucks. It's great. Like, you're welcome here. 
and we want to walk through that process with you. But that's how we're going to practice our faith, and we invite you into that community. And rather than getting, trying to get all of us to agree on every single piece of theology, what I care about really are three things. Again, inviting people in to follow Jesus, but what I care about for all of us is that Jesus stands at the center, that our arrows are pointing towards him, that we're moving in that direction, whether you're moving from like way out here and you're like, I'm in terrible shape, but I think I'm turning to Jesus awesome, or you're like super close and you're the biggest saint in our church. What I care about is that our arrows is pointing in that direction. The second thing is that you're in community, that you're part of the people, the family of God, where we can walk together towards Jesus at our different perspectives and at our different places. And then finally, that we listen to God's word and we wait for the spirit in community and that we're open to new invitations from Jesus. See, what I find is that by his grace, as we jump in with Jesus, he will tell us again in different ways or in new ways all the time that he wants something. He wants us to change something. He wants, he's inviting us to become more and more like him. And so maybe he'll put up a new barrier for you, a new invitation for you, and he'll say at a point in time, hey, your money is an issue. It's an issue stopping you from becoming more like me. I invite you into a new way of looking at your money or, you know, your sex life or your free time, or your, you know, whatever, your education, uh, whatever it is, the way that you look at people, all these different things, I'm inviting you through a new boundary and a new barrier at that time. So I don't want to prescribe what all those things are for each one of us, but what I want us to do is fix our arrows on Jesus, walk together in community so that when God in his absolute grace comes alongside each one of us and says, take up your cross today in this area and follow me, that we're part of a community that's going to walk us through that together in love. Okay, that's the first one. They devoted themselves to um, learning, to being a community of learning. And that's going to be the longest one. I won't go on as long with all the rest of them. Okay, they devoted themselves to, to the disciples' teaching, to being a community of learning. The second is that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, this is a pretty Christianese word that we adopted from the Greek here. It's koinonia, koinonia. And I, it, we translate it into English to mean fellowship, but it means a close association involving mutual involvement and relationship. So a close association of people or the gathering together of God's people. Oftentimes when you see the word church in the Bible, this is the underlying Greek word, a group of people who are gathering together to walk towards Jesus. And this for us is the invitation for us to move from individuality to community. Back then, everybody was communal, but today, as people who are individualistic, this is one of the big barriers for us to practice the way of God and being the church today. Because we think of ourselves as autonomous agents rather than as part of a whole, that, that me is more important and bigger than we. But the message of the Bible is that it's the opposite. It's that we are bigger than me. In his book, The Road to Character, uh, one of my favorite authors, David Brooks, he says that our culture is obsessed with the wrong things. So he's living in New York. He says that we're obsessed with resumes and accumulation. And maybe that's also true here, but also enjoyment, just having fun, great experiences. And he says those are fine, but those are actually the wrong things to focus on. What we should be focused on is we should live with our funeral in mind. How will we be remembered at our funeral? How will we be eulogized, he says. And in this time uh, that we have said goodbye to many, many people, we've been given the opportunity to do sort of like a eulogy with them, 
and to extol the characteristics and the ways that they've put we before me. And so this Sunday at our church, we'll be saying goodbye to a couple that are you know, near and dear to me and an important part of our community. And what they've done is that they've, how they've become that important part of our community is by putting we before me just in a hundred little steps, by becoming part of the music team and showing up early to do sound, by saying yes to God and, and doing a missions trip, by posting together or posting on, on the mom's Facebook group, by joining community groups. And we're richer because of those relationships. And those are the things that we're going to say about them on Sunday. And they're things we're going to really, really miss. That we're, that they're the reasons that we're very, very sad that they're moving away. And we wouldn't be the same church that we are today without them. They put we before me and help to build a community. And that's the invitation of God to move from individuality to community. And one of the best ways to measure that is by the next statement that Paul makes, or that Luke makes here. So they devoted themselves not only to koinonia, but to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now there's a dispute among scholars here. They're, they're wondering, are they talking about eating meals together, or are they talking about the practice of communion, which in their context was a meal? But in the end, I think it's the same thing, that they devoted themselves to having a spirit of an invitation to inviting people into the community, of being a community of hospitality. Now, this is the opposite of consuming. Consuming is asking, what can I get? What can I get from a people or a group? What's in it for me? And I will say this, if your focus is consuming, then we as a church won't and we can't probably compete with the other options in your life. There are churches out there. If you're watching online, they're going to have way better live streams. They're way more relevant. You know, they have better preachers. They probably have better programs. Uh, they have better everything. Um, and there's loads of other offerings in our world that are more fun or easier uh, or, yeah, more fun to do with your time than to watch this or to be part of a family. You know, you could, a, a church family, you could go to a movie, you could go for a walk, you could stay at home and do nothing. You know, uh, there was a book that came out a couple months ago called Better Than Brunch. It was a book about church in Cascadia, kind of the Pacific Northwest. And that's what they said the biggest competition is. A church is, has to be better than brunch. We have to offer something better or different. Um, but I would say if this is how we look at churches, um, it's the wrong way. Uh, one of my friends, excuse me, he, he joked about how um, church reviews on Google are like reviews of a, of a cruise ship. That they say like, hey, good coffee, you know, funny speaker, great kids program, clean pool, these kinds of things. And I'm just saying, we, look, we can't compete at that level. I can't compete with a new Avengers movie that comes out. It's just we're doing different things. And so God asks us to, to change our values instead of to try to compete. And he involve, asks all of us as people to move from consuming, from that mentality, to being our number one mentality, to contributing. And that's the invitation to the church. It's a posture of hospitality. It doesn't ask, what can I get from this time? What can I get from this group of people? What can I get from being part of this church? But instead, it, it says, what do I have to give? If I've received salvation from God, what do I actually now have to give to his people? And I, I do think you will receive much from being part of a family of God. And this is a beautiful and amazing group of people that I have the wonderful privilege of pastoring. I don't want to be down on them. But if the primary pastor, but the primary posture of us, sorry, needs to be one of hospitality and contributing and not consuming. And we'll talk about this a few more, in a few more weeks when we talk about uh, the gifts 
uh, of what it means, what gifts we have to contribute to the church. So they devoted themselves to three things that we've seen already, to being a group of learning, to being a group of koinonia, of fellowship, and also a group of hospitality. And finally, they devoted themselves, these new believers were encouraged to devote themselves to prayer. Now, our version says prayer, but in the original language, it actually says to the prayers. And what most scholars think is that it's referring not to just praying at any time, but actually to set up practices. And in the synagogue, they would have set times of prayer. And so the early followers of Jesus adopted this as well, that we would be a group that has a set of, of spiritual practices, including prayer. And, and so they're a community of not only belief and of prayer, but of practice, that they practiced their faith together. And I did a long series here on the rule of life uh, that lasted about, we started about this time last year and we did about 18 weeks in it. Um, and I'm not, so I'm not going to reiterate anything from that. You can go back and take a look at it. But we want to be a group of people who practice together. So I'll just run you through, if you're new, what our uh, community group uh, rule of life looks like. So it's, it's broken up in two ways. Uh, it's things to stop. That's the bottom half things that we're going to stop doing in order to make time and start doing new things. And then it's uh, things that move us towards God and move us towards our neighbor and our church family. And then there's the three rings of, of practices that are daily, weekly, and monthly. So there's things like giving on there. There's things like spiritual friendship. There's things like fasting. And there's all these different things that we recommend. Now, the point isn't to try to do all of them. That's wonderful and great if you want to. Or to say, like, I've done enough. But it's, it's, a, it's a way of, of developing a kind of life that helps us to have our arrows pointing in the same direction towards Jesus. It's a, it's a kind of life directed towards becoming like him. And we do it together in community. I encourage you to share it with each other, your rules of life. And in fact, that's one of the things as community group leaders and community groups, one of the first things that we'll do this year is just talk about what are our habits in following Jesus? What are the things that we're doing? What are the things that we're committing to in this next season in order to grow into people like Jesus? And this is one of the ways that the early church helped new followers of Jesus is by saying, this is my rule of life. These are my practices. These are the prayers. Here's how you can join me in becoming someone who follows Jesus. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that each of these characteristics of the church are true of most groups. You might think, like, why would I need to be part of a church? I can get a community or hospitality or friendship or practices elsewhere. Well, if you remember back to last week, we talked about this idea about the imminent frame, that we have built this, uh, this bubble that boxes God out. And so we're estranged from transcendence, as Charles Taylor says, or God's work really becomes fuzzy in our world. It's really hard to identify when God is at work. But as Charles Taylor says, not only have we boxed God out of our world, but we've boxed ourselves in. And so now we only have the resources from within the bubble to try to make sense of our lives. So only within the human experience do we have the, uh, can, we, can, we make, uh, can we find a place for our deepest longings or our hugest purpose or for cosmic meaning? We long for fullness, as Charles Taylor says, this experience of the transcendent, but we limited ourselves to the claustrophobic crawl space of self, as Leslie Jameson says. But Taylor thinks this isn't enough. The bubble, to live inside this bubble that we've built is not going to be enough. And so we're going to be, find ourselves at different times in our life very dissatisfied. 
but you don't need to take this from a philosopher. Take it from uh, an artist. So when I was uh, late 90s, early 2000s, I don't know if this is a confession or what it is, but I was a pretty big fan of John Mayer. He was a huge singer-songwriter and a really phenomenal guitar player. Now, he released this song uh, that I'm going to quote here in the midst of like part of his big break. Like He was the big deal uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's a song called Something's Missing, and I just want to read it for us, where he describes what it's like to be inside this imminent bubble or his experience of it. He lists all the different things that he has that are really great. So he says, friends, check. Got lots of friends. Money, check. Remember, he's doing really well. A well-slept, check. It's a bad English, but I think he's meaning like, I got a really good sleep. You know, opposite sex, check. If you know anything about John Mayer, he's got a lot of very famous uh, partners. Guitar, check. Microphone, check. He was at the top of his game in terms of music. Messages waiting on me when I get home, check friends, people wanting to be friends with him. But here's the chorus of the song. Something's missing, and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing, and I don't know what it is. That's what he repeats again and again throughout the song. This is this experience that Charles Taylor is trying to talk to us about. You can have all the things that you would want in this imminent frame, in the bubble, and you still get this feeling that something is missing. And here's what Acts, the, the book of Acts, and I would say the whole Bible is trying to say to us, that maybe the problem isn't, you know, that you have friends or money or sleep or sex or your vocation. Maybe the problem is that there's another world that you were made for outside the bubble of just mere human existence. And the Bible makes this crazy claim. It's, that, it's not that something is missing. It's not that you're searching for something else to plug into your life that will finally make sense of everything, but that someone is missing. That we've boxed out God and then that he is the thing, he is the person that is, is missing in our lives, this, this transcendent being who longs to be with us. And the story of the Bible states that, that God has broken through this barrier, through this bubble in the person of Jesus And God is here to invite us into a much bigger and grander story. And when we open ourselves up to God's spirit among us, for each of us, and we open ourselves up to learning and to fellowship and to hospitality and to practice in a community of Jesus followers, our lives can become full. We can find that someone who's missing and we can learn how to practice that with each other. Finally, I want to just point out one last word, I think that in closing, that I I think might help us to move to action as we look at this, this verse, and it's the word devoted. They devoted themselves to all of these things. Now, this word is, is used only like 10 or 11 times, but it's, it's mostly used in the book of Acts. It's used quite a few times. It's, it's an important word. And I look, so I looked it up in the dictionary, and I just want to read to you what the, the Bible dictionary says about this word. I think it was a pretty, it was, it was um, uh, meaningful and also impactful to me. So here's six things. To be devoted means to adhere to one to be devoted or, cons- or constant to one. To be devoted means to be steadfastly attentive unto or to give unremitting care to something. To be devoted means to continue all the time in a place. To be devoted means to persevere and not to faint. To be devoted means to show oneself courageous for. To be devoted means to be in constant readiness for one, waiting on constantly. This is what God calls us to and calls these new followers, what the the church would call the new followers to be, is devoted in all these different ways. We're going to talk more in the future about what it means to be a member here. Maybe you're curious, but this is really it. Are you devoted to Jesus' invitation to you?
Are you devoted to waiting and watching, to being part of a group that learns to wait and to watch for God's Spirit at work and follow Him wherever He's going to lead us? And are you devoted to, to God and to each other to be part of a community that's learning and that's hospitable and that is going to practice the way of God together? And I don't know where you're coming from. In this season, maybe it's super hard for you to be devoted. You know, maybe you're just not sure about this Jesus stuff, and that's okay. Maybe your arrow, you feel super far away. But God might be pointing your arrow towards him. Awesome. You know, we'd love to track with you or find somebody in your life who can. Maybe you're going through some sort of deconstruction where you're questioning all the boundaries. I think that's awesome. You know, for me, that's actually God's invitation. He might be drawing you into some sort of more, more nearness to him through that. Again, love to walk with you through it. Maybe you're someone who's been devoted and all the people who have left in the pandemic has just really been hard. Um, all the people who have, have left our church, who have moved in the pandemic has been really difficult. And I, I hear you and I feel you. But I encourage you to hear the call of God again. Maybe you're devoted somewhere else and you got burnt by that other church. Or maybe you're just like me. You're like a millennial or younger and you're like, I don't do the word devoted. I can't spell commitment. And I can't and I won't be able to drum up any kind of meaningful devotion for you. And I don't want to promise that this church community is perfect, that we do community or learning or practices in the perfect way. But I do want to invite you to the story of God, to the one who has shown that he's devoted to us again and again and again and again, finally coming in the person of Jesus. As uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible so wonderfully puts it, with his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love, true devotion. So my invitation to you is to come to him, to come to him, to place him at the center, and let him be the one who allows you to be devoted to his family. Would you join with me in prayer? God, thank you so much for this word, um, and thank you for the example of the early church, the people who just threw all in with you, these nameless folks. We get the chance to observe them from a distance, and um, so we thank you for their faithfulness, and we pray that we would be also a community of people who is devoted and faithful to you, that you might make yourself known in our day as you did in theirs. So teach us what that means today and this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.